Shelby and Matt. <laughs> I wasn't gonna do. Wow, was that good? Was I close? That was bad. Mine's better. It's really it's, undoubtedly. It. I feel slightly cringy doing that because I feel like it's. Uh, appropriating me as like a mid as like a elementary school student mm. appropriating Native yeah. American culture, so yeah. that is yeah doing something canceled yeah yes I know mm. well and it's like that then you have the whole like weird detail of the first season's music guy being like yeah I played with bones and it's like why <laughs> so the music is truly accursed. Yeah. There's, there's bone in the first. He was like, he was this weird, he was this weird music guy. And he was like, yeah, I wanted to be authentic. So I played with bones. Like, hu- like, like the dr- drums or something. Like human bones? Or yeah. Like, well, yeah, it was weird. You know, to each okay. their own. To each their own. <laughs> if you want to play with human bones, yeah, play with yeah, bones. Yeah. Um, we're talking about White Lotus season two, if you hadn't figured this out already. This week, yes, love that. I mean, I hate that for us, but I loved watching it. (laughs) Spoiler alert! I should have. I should be leaning more into a Jennifer Coolidge voice. Yeah, I mean, yeah. These are some big deal gays, Portia. (laughs) We gotta get off the boat. He was sort of um, like um. uh, No, why? (laughs) What? I'm losing it. You're losing it. I'm You're losing it. I was there at the beginning. <laughs> you were. I you was. Were. I was impressed. I was really, truly okay. impressed. Okay. Well, you know, yeah. I, I, I'll come in and out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I look forward to it. Um, but no, it was a big week. Big week. Uh, everyone was looking forward to it. A big deal. Um, but you were out doing something else. You were watching Avatar. No. When oh. this was airing, I was watching this. Oh, okay. When we oh, okay. were supposed Congrats. to be recording our pop culture roundup, I was watching the three hour and ten minute oh, long Avatar movie. That's so, right. You know, okay. This um, checks out. No, I feel like this I don't know if this was just that I was very into White Lotus or like my friend, but I feel like this was the first time in a while that it felt like we were back at the monoculture. Like oh, everybody yeah, was, was everybody was trying to figure out who was dying in this i feel like everybody was watching it everybody was paying attention um i guess i guess sort of with the last season of euphoria i kind of felt that like we were mm. following episode to episode but it doesn't happen very often like i think even the house of the dragon people were sort of behind a bit <laughs> yeah no i i mean hbo is one of the last holdouts to do the week release and it works for them except for house of the dragon um but, but but I think House of the Dragon will have that on the second season. 
Okay. Because White Lotus, did, I think it, I think it's like it takes a season to like build and get everybody involved, uh-huh. and th- and I feel like Succession is like that too. And then when the second season comes around, you're like, okay, now we're in. Now like everybody's <laughs> on topic. We're watching it week to week. Where the first season, I think, takes a little bit. Oh wow. Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, I think this season English. was just better. The. Uh, than the first season of White Lotus. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll get into that. But first, we have to talk about Taylor Swift, shall no, we? No, no, no. I thought we were... <laughs> because we missed the pop culture roundup. And you and you were begging yeah, yeah, me yeah, off yeah, there. Yeah, please, yeah. Matthew, please, <laughs> let me... Well, yeah. I mean, what's, uh, what's going on with her? Fill me in. <laughs> what's going on with her is that she is now apparently... Like, the Taylor Swift wants an Oscar plotline... <laughs> runs way deeper than I thought it did. Like, yeah. I thought that she had sort of a, like, casual desire for an Oscar that I think any musician has of sort of like, oh, it would be nice if I got one, but, like, that's not really your uh, field, you know? So it's mm-hmm. like, like, would I love to win a Super Bowl trophy? Like, sure, <laughs> but will I? Like, no, because it's, you like, not believe. what I'm doing. But... But Taylor Swift has repeatedly sort of gone back to the music for movie business. She has not been nominated yet. And then this year we come to find out that she is campaigning hard for (laughs) a best um, live action short Oscar for her all too well music video which is so a I little can't talk bit about of a, it, okay i just get i just get second hand embarrassment okay it's a little <laughs> bit of a head scratcher but she's like going for it it's not like it's not like it's not like pundits are saying oh and i guess that's nominated like could be nominated and she's like oh like she's not really doesn't care it's like no she's gone yeah, to these various film yeah. festivals she's going to events this week she did the directors on directors round table <laughs> um with like actual film directors but <laughs> But then to top all of this off, the news came out this week that she has written a screenplay for a feature length <laughs> film that she will also be directing. Yes. Which is lunacy to me. Okay. I mean, lunacy is a strong word. Everyone, if they were in a position of, you know, <laughs> power and money and could just explore their creative interests, they would try. They would try things. We can't fault her for trying. I I mean, I guess that's <laughs> true. I mean, Greta Gerwig was just an actress and then she directed. Or Bo Burnham was just a YouTube guy and then he directed, you know? Yeah, but the, I, I mean, I guess that Taylor Swift technically has directed music videos. Yeah, the th- and my- the short film. Yes, and the short film, which was definitely not just a music video. It was a, it was a short. It was film. a short film. Um, the thing I guess I don't that I am unclear on is how much, like of these of this she is actually like doing okay. herself. Okay, here we go. Well, I Let's just hear it, Matthew. Well, yeah, I'm just saying directing is like a skill set that involves lots of different pieces um is it just too hard for little girls to understand no i'm just saying it's like a technical skill that i'm not necessarily (laughs) sure that she possesses it's like i could not direct a film um like if i had enough people around me who knew how to do things like could i yes 
I guess. I my, mean, I believe question, you could. the The question is, will it be good? Will it be watchable? Right. I, will it be I guess enjoyable? The thing that I am struggling with with Taylor Swift is like, is this a vanity project? Right. I feel like I feel like I I honestly do have a little bit of secondhand embarrassment, a little bit of cringe, mostly because it's like you know when you watch someone put themselves out there. Oh, it's like watching eighth grade when she goes to the pool and you like yes. love her and you feel for her and you want her to be happy, but you also just don't trust people. That's how I feel watching Taylor Swift venture into this new uh, genre and industry. Um, See, I feel <laughs> less like that and more like when Khloe Kardashian was talking about how she had written a book on Keeping <laughs> Up with the Kardashians. And you're like, huh, there is a book that does say it was written by Khloe Kardashian. And she <laughs> no. is saying that she is writing it, but there seems to be something else going on. But that's the thing about Taylor, is that she's so, like, earnest, and that sometimes is what makes people cringe at her and call her ick. Like, I don't think she's someone who would just let someone else do the work that she wants to take credit for. Like, I sure, she might have a really hands-on cinematographer-type relationship, and maybe that's not usual for a director, but I do not think she's phoning it in. I just don't know if she, I mean, like, has the expertise to make it well. Yeah. Well, I feel like the part of this that I am more skeptical on than the directing is the fact that she wrote a screenplay. I because I know very <laughs> well how hard it is to write a screenplay and how hard it is to write a screenplay for, like, writers. You know, yeah. like, like one of the things we talk about in publishing all the time is that people who is that authors who write books want to write the screenplay for their movies and you're like <clears throat> we know this is your story and we know that you are a talented <laughs> writer but these are two completely different skill sets and to be like she's good at writing songs to yeah. she's yeah it's tough. going to give us you know a three-act structure like narrative film is yeah. I mean we'll see it I will go see this and I will I will it's cats all over you know again. and if it's terrible I will enjoy that if it's great I you know I'll enjoy I that as well I feel like it's gonna be like this is a win-win for me you know like I feel you like it's, it's like Brie like Larson what? like Unicorn Store did oh, you ever watch that yeah that was bad like I feel like it'll be sort of a coming of age really simple sort of like you know story not autobiographical but like drawn on her real you know feelings and i feel, I feel like, like it'll, it'll be, be a romance of some sort maybe i mean yeah there's probably yeah i don't think it'll be genre though is what i'm saying i think it'll be just like an indie little coming of age sort of story well she doesn't strike me as someone who could really like write a comedy necessarily yeah. Yeah. No, I'm a little so, worried about the writing too because I, I love feel like her it might come I feel like it might be like a like a Nicholas Sparks movie kind of energy. I don't know. I Cuz isn't that sort of the energy of the 10 minute long all too well? Well, yes, but it's not it's really if you take it down, she's been trying to pivot away from, "Oh, I am a girl who writes about boys." And she's like this the music video isn't so about the relationship. This is going to be it's like about, uh, about like the Serbian war overcame. or something. <laughs> I said it's an indie coming of age Lady Bird esque wannabe film. That's She's what I'm picturing. An adaptation of Uncle Tom's Cabin yeah. that she <laughs> yeah Citizen Kane uh, <laughs> will be getting a reboot under Taylor. Um, yeah, no, I I feel like you know to your point. I agree that. 
songwriting does not a screenwriter make. And I was trying to think of like, because you have comps of like actors becoming directors, obviously, but it seems harder for a songwriter to become a dialogue writer because it's just so different. The but other, I don't know. The other thing that I feel like is is that I feel bad for her about <laughs> in this situation, honestly, is like if you are a like like for example, the guy who um plays the dean in community is also a screenplay writer. Mm. And has written, you know, various screenplays for things like you can see a situation in which he is an actor he like has a story that he wants to tell he writes this screenplay but then there's a certain and like yes he has connections and friends and is like sort of famous but there's a certain level of like this like it has to be at least kind of good for it to get pushed through where taylor swift i think could write a screenplay Mm. that is absolutely garbage and it would still get made into a movie because every Hollywood executive is like, well, this will make a certain amount of money. And provided that her, that her script isn't something that's going to cost like a hundred million dollars to make. Like, I think anybody would easily give her a $5 million, $10 million budget to make a yeah. movie. Yeah. Cause you'd be stupid not to <laughs> like first draft of a script, give it to her. I know. I know. I'm, I'm worried it'll be like an Amsterdam style, like quirky, Ooh. Wes Anderson adjacent. Well, that's I don't the know. other thing. She doesn't have good taste in the movies that she's been <laughs> in either. So it's like, remember, she loved uh, Where the Crawdads Sing. Yeah. <laughs> well, she, she liked the book. Go- we don't know how she felt about the movie. Well, right. But the book was also bad. <laughs> she did get a um, Golden Globes nomination, though, for I that song. I did see that. I did. I did see that. Um, yeah. Big week. Big week for her. Um, I think next week. It, sometime soon the shortlist for Oscar come out so we'll know whether she is <laughs> eligible for either the it's headed to Carolina song or the uh, all too well short film <laughs> I know oh man I don't even know when like how how when do you think this movie will come out you think is we a fast turnaround or early announced project well so theoretically the script is done yeah She's touring this summer, um, so she wouldn't be shooting it then. Um, I don't know. Like, I think that I mean, if the script is done and they and the financing for it, because who did the who is who has it? Searchlight. Searchlight. Um. So Disney. Um. Yeah, I feel like that they could potentially like shoot in the fall. Depending oh, on like where it is and what they what it, it what the needs are for it, yeah. But yeah, because yeah, I mean they could be working on you know getting the cast and setting up locations and stuff. And to your point, if it is sort of an indie film that's you know set in like houses in a neighborhood or whatever, that wouldn't be super hard to get the set ready yeah. for. Um, yeah, I guess it depends on what it is and then if it's shot this upcoming or like fall 2023 i think it could theoretically come out like sometime in the first half of 2024 but i think that would be the earliest that it could come out Mm. do we know Mm. anything else about the uh the re-releases and stuff has anything happened with any of that shake it off lawsuit was thrown out so or settled out of court so that opens up the possibility of 1989, but other than that, no. 
Okay. Okay. Mm. So we'll have to see. <laughs> Hopefully we're still uh, podcasting so we can discuss <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'll come back out of retirement. You dig my body out of the grave in order to <laughs> podcast about this movie. So sweet. It's going to be so bad. I can't wait. <laughs> I cannot wait. That's unverified. Um, but let's talk about what everyone's talking about this week, which is White Lotus. White Lotus. Mm. The second season... The first season from uh, Amazing Race and Survivor alum Mike White as the writer-director um, came out last year? Yes. Set yeah. in Hawaii. Um, it sort of came up out of nowhere. Like, I don't think it had a, a particular lot of fanfare. Um, mm-hmm. Starred some, like, sort of, like, some celebrities, but not, like, super, super big names. Jennifer Coolidge, um, Connie Britton, Sydney Sweeney. And was sort of, like, a slow burn, I think. Um, but, but has been growing, mo- getting more and more fans, picking up steam. And this year, since that first miniseries came out, it won a ton of Emmys. Then the second season uh, started this fall earlier, seven episodes long. And every season, they're at a different White Lotus resort. So the first one was Hawaii. This one, they're in Sicily. Jennifer Coolidge's character has transferred over, but otherwise, it's a completely new cast. There's sort of three different groups who are on this island, or, and yeah, I guess Sicily's island, on the island, and, you know, going about their vacations and have these various plots going on. Like four, right? Wouldn't we call it like four, maybe five? <laughs> well, I guess, I guess in my mind, there's like the, there's the, the two couples who are on vacation together. Yeah. There's the three generations of Italian yeah. men, and then there is um, Jennifer Coolidge. Oh well, but then there's the hookers too. Oh yeah, but I'm sort of, uh, I guess they're. <laughs> they have their own storyline. They do. Matthew. They do. But they yes. matter. Yeah, and then there's also the hotel um, manager lady. She has a plot line as well. Yeah. So yeah, so I guess maybe five. But there's three groups of guests. Yeah. Um, and yeah, both seasons have opened with, oh, there's some sort of dead body involved. You and I talked about this last week of who we thought was going to get killed in the finale so the whole season you're kind of like okay what's going on here because somebody is gonna somebody's getting murdered and with this season we knew that there was at least three dead bodies from the (laughs) first episode so there was a lot of speculating as to which combination of people would die who like how they would cross paths all kinds of stuff um and then the season ended last week with the season finale which (laughs) i enjoyed you and you like the season better than the first season Yeah, I think ultimately it worked as a vehicle. Like, I think the first one was maybe more contained and a little bit more exact in what it wanted to say. But I feel like this season had more authentic characters that were interesting to watch play. And he was able to make more nuanced, like, I don't know, kind of characterizations i guess like the the layers that were more interesting and and kind of excited me a little bit more than the straightforward kind of shallowness of the first because the first season is arguably all about class and race and this season is more about toxic masculinity and misogyny 
And so I guess it was just more my bread and butter. <laughs> yeah, definitely more your favorite. <laughs> just some things points. I love to talk about. Um, um, but yeah. And see, I didn't like really understand that point because I was like, wait, <laughs> all these men seem like they're doing the yeah, right they're, they're thing. Great. <laughs> Why are these bitchy women getting so upset <laughs> about them? Um, no, I feel like, I mean, maybe it does sort of have to do with which is our favorite talking point because I feel like <clears throat> I like to talk about class more than mm. like sex, I guess. But <laughs> um, I don't know. I liked the first season i think that the first season also had more like had more crossover of the groups interacting with each other where this season the three like travel groups at least like didn't really interact very much and i kind of wish that they had because i think that that would have there would have been some fun sort of combinations of people in there um yeah i think season one is probably like funnier but I think season two is smarter I really like both of them I I also think the ending of season one is much more grim the season yeah. two ending is a lot like happier because basically the point of season one is that all of these rich people do horrible things and they all leave unscathed and the people who have to deal with the consequences of the rich people's actions are the poor people. Mm-hmm. Where in the second season, the poor people sort of like get away with everything. Like they're the ones who end up leaving on top. Um, but I kind of liked that commentary in the first season that felt like the second season didn't have quite as much like bite to it in some ways. Yeah. Um, but I really liked them both. I think that, like, on any given day, I could go back and forth between which of the two I liked. And I think the cast in the second season overall was, like, less duds than the first season, <laughs> who I think had a couple people who I was like, okay, we didn't really, like, this character wasn't doing very much for me. But I also think, like, I loved the Jennifer Coolidge, like, like the scene or the sequence in the first season where Jennifer Coolidge ends up on the boat trip with her ashes <laughs> and the other people are trying to have a romantic dinner is so funny to me and like <laughs> such a great sequence. And I feel like we never quite got to that level in yeah. this series. Um, this is more of a slow burn. It was more like the payoff was in the subtleties and it wasn't necessarily as big and loud of moments you know because you had the boat scene you had the taking a shit in his suitcase scene the the gay sex scene like there was a lot that was loud and proud with all of her boats oh (laughs) also the the the, what if grandpa was a power bottom that scene is great from the first season uh i'm talking myself more and more into (laughs) loving the first season but and i just liked season two because it felt almost like I don't know, like, the funniest bits were just, like, these random payoffs where, like, it ended with all three men checking out the same woman. And I just feel like that release was so interesting and said so much without saying anything. And it was so funny to see this, like, full circle moment where they had to realize that they're more alike than they ever wanted to be. And so little things like that are what, like, stand out from this season. But, yeah, there's less maybe – um, bodacious kind of moments, except for 
the gays are after me or whatever. <laughs> oh, yes. There were definitely some that were, you know, exquisite to very quotable lines, as always. I, Mike Wright is, unlike perhaps Taylor Swift, what we don't know yet, is a is like masterful at dialogue and putting these yeah. people in scenes and having them say things that feel so outlandish, but also like so normal at the same time. Um, yeah. There's a lot more like budget with this one too and i think he indulged in it a little bit and that worked for me but it also meant um you know you're getting a lot of lush shots and and it, it was basically like just an extended anxiety attack but he always reminded us from the get-go that this wasn't like this isn't like a murder mystery it's it's a what did he call it a bedroom farce with teeth so it's very like shakespearean comedy where things are happening and people are interacting or they're not and other people are coming to different lessons than the others and it all ends with this sort of like well that happened you know but, but the murder mystery element is definitely a big part of it like yeah he likes to pretend that it's not that but it's like it is also that because that's <laughs> you know what i know but i think what's talking. funny is that it like you said the first season it ended up being sort of this final like thesis statement that put everything in the past season into perspective whereas this was more sort of a comedy of errors like it it was never going to end serious because all the signs were there from the get-go that it was just this like tragic comedy and I think that was fun too is that we were all like oh my gosh is is Harper gonna murder someone and frame this person and it's like once we saw what happened, it was always like, oh, of course, that's it was just going to be that. Like, it's it's just kind of this sad, loser, pathetic, funny thing. Well, both of the seasons have been like the deaths are accidents. Like we it's not like someone is planning yeah. on killing somebody, um, <laughs> which is fun because, you know, it's it's not like, but I was plotting the whole time. Yeah. It, like, they're always it, more chaotic than that. Um, <laughs> but do you want to talk about the like different groups of people and their plot yeah, lines and it. if we like them and all that? Who do you want to start with? Let's do the couple since they're kind of the most removed from everyone else, too. Yeah. So there's these two couples. One is played by Theo James, who you probably know from Divergent, and Megan Fahey, who... Ugh, guess how I know her. I've mentioned she, it like 17 times She's on, on the bold type, yes. Yes. Which I've never watched. Is, he, is she the main... Is she a main character, the main character on that? Yeah, there's three women, and she's one of them. And she's okay. the best, and she carried that show. And I, I know I mentioned it, love it or hate it, multiple times, and she was always my favorite. So I've been new. <laughs> okay, well, wow, great. Good for you. Um, I <laughs> loved Theo James since he died in Lady Mary's <laughs> bed on Down Abbey. Um, and then the other couple is Aubrey <clears throat> Plaza and this guy named Will Sharp, who I had never heard of before yeah you know Rob anything about him? from something but i don't remember what i think he's also a writer of some variety or a director or something he has some more technical job because i remember seeing something at some point that was like oh he wrote this tv pilot or whatever uh, anywho so there are these two couples theo james and and megan Faye, he are daphne and what's his name um cameron 
Mm. And they're sort of like, they're rich, they're kind <clears throat> of dumb, they're like very sort of frat boy, sorority girl energy. Um, like they're wealthy because of Cameron's business that feels like sort of shady and that they might be like exploitative. But she's very, very sweet. And neither of them necessarily seem like bad people, even though they're obviously oh, like does. taking advantage of... Yeah, but like not in like a necessarily like no, super immediately. malicious immediately way. bad vibes <laughs> well, i see yes, what you're saying yeah but no he's bad <laughs> well obviously he's bad but he's not like um like he still comes across as like a little bit doofy or whatever i get like he doesn't he doesn't seem like um like no he super... seems like wolf of wall street he seems like cutthroat yeah. he see i think you're thinking of like the doofy has been in the season one, which he looks like a saint. Oh no, to these guys. no, he's definitely not that energy. No, it's more, it's more thought out than that. But he's also not like, um, I don't know, like murderous, like Disney villain sort of, <laughs> okay, like yeah, sure. all kind of thing. <laughs> and then the other couple is like very like New York liberal, but has money, reads the New Yorker, listens to NPR sort of energy. And Aubrey Plaza's character especially is very thrown off by these other two who she doesn't know very well. And is just constantly like annoyed that she has to be there on this trip with them and thinks that they're bad people, thinks that they're dumb. There's a part early on where the, where Daphne is like, did I vote? I think I voted. And Cameron's <laughs> like, no, you didn't vote. And Aubrey Plus is like, they didn't vote? Like, what is <laughs> what is happening? Um, and I really like the dynamic of these two groups because I, it felt very realistic to me. Like, the yeah. Aubrey Plaza character felt very spot on. You were like, oh, and, Shelby. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, honestly, <laughs> I could see, like... Rob is not the same dynamic as the husband, but you and Aubrey Plaza had very similar <laughs> energy, I feel. I know. It was a little bit like therapy where I was like, huh, is this how I want to be? Is this how I want to be presenting myself? Um, I could see you being like, I'm going to have fun. I'm I'm going to have fun today. And it being like, mm, okay, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that was sort of the... Uh, yeah, because they are newly rich. He um, had a company that like sold for millions or whatever. So she's like concerned about how that will change them. And then they're invited on this sort of uh, trip to this fancy hotel with these super rich couple who's been more around the world, who doesn't care about politics, who has can't understand why Aubrey Plaza wouldn't be able to sleep at night. And that was definitely like a fun setup. And I was like, I know I'm going to see myself in Harper. And I know by the end, I'm going to be like, wow, not a good thing. <laughs> but I feel like they had such an interesting trajectory because when you're when you're first introduced to him, you do think it's like, oh, yeah, these people might be a little bit more miserable, but at least they're aware. And then you think, oh, these people are too nice. They must be faking it. They're just they have ulterior motives. They're bad. But then it gets all scrambled through the series and things happen where like alliances shift and issues come up and it's never how you think it's going to go. And I found that really interesting. Well, and you sort of realize that like, I mean, I think that the Theo James character always comes across as bad, but that the other three all sort of like have good things and 
bad things about them. Um, and they're sort of like learning from each other as they go along. Um, and I'm so curious in your reading of this. Like, what do you mean? I, I just want to know like how you like, like what happened, you know, like, what do you think? What do you think Mike White was trying to say? And like, what did you, what was your final oh, takeaway like, with the characters? Like what happened when the, so I think that Harper and, Cameron definitely like went up to the room to hook up in some capacity. I don't know how much, but I think like Harper wanted to piss off. Um, what's his name? The I don't know. Is it Colin or no? It's not. No, it's Cam- uh, Ethan. Ethan. Harper <laughs> wanted to piss off Ethan, and so and obviously Cameron will sleep with anybody, and it was established that like he always tries to sleep with the g- girls that Ethan likes. So. It, that like makes sense to me and then Ethan sort of caught them in the middle of whatnot. I don't know and then at the end when Ethan tells Daphne about it I was reading something online that was like Daphne was more was like knows that Cameron is cheating and she is also probably cheating and one of her kids is the child of the uh, trainer that she talks about in one of the episodes but that she's upset that Harper sort of betrayed her because she thought that they were going to be friends and then also when she when she leads Ethan off to the island I was Mm -hmm. like wait what's happening here is she going to kill him like what's going on (laughs) but then someone online was like oh yeah they like went and hooked up on the island as sort of like a revenge hookup thing and I was like Oh yeah, I think that's definitely what happened as well. Um and I don't I don't know what Mike White was necessarily like trying to say about sex and relationships in that other than like sometimes if you are too like uptight and have one like very rigid perspective on something that can like that sort of clenchedness can ruin stuff in a way that if you have like a little bit more wiggle room and are a little bit less obsessive then sometimes you can you know find good things even when they're not perfect I don't know so do you think that they're in a better place now that they've kind of fudged up and they can both be because it ends it starts with them not being able to have sex with each other and then in the end they finally do hook up and they seem happier and relaxed at the last shot like so you read it as like yeah see they solved it um do I think they're in a better place I would say yes I don't like I don't I'm not sure that he's saying like, oh, everybody should cheat on everybody. But I think it's I think it's less about the cheating and more about both of them sort of learning from Daphne that. Like you can't be completely in control at all times. And to sort of like have a more. But see, that's what she—that's what she seems to be seeking—is complete control in her own way. Like, I think that's what's so compelling to me about these characters and the dynamic of Megan's character in particular, um, Daphne, is that she's smart, but she plays dumb, and she looks like the victim, but is actually like the aggressor in a lot of ways. And I think she's taking the power back in the only way she knows how, and that's why it's so interesting to like pull back the layers on her where at first she seems vapid and silly, but then when she carts Harper off to the other city and like books a hotel and does it because she wants to make 
her husband jealous and you get this insight into her where she has that like monologue about how um don't you think it's just better to do what you want even if it's by yourself and Cameron does what he wants all the time like why let them have all the fun and that's like a very like I don't know kind of like first wave feminism like this idea that I can do anything a guy does but then she echoes that later in the night when she says that I feel sad for men because like elephants the the women and the children the the females and the oh, children yeah. all stay together but the men the males just wander alone and that's that's what this is like they're just they think they're out there doing something really important but they're just wandering alone and I think that's her denial speaking because she ends up in the same place where she's talking about how she wants female friendship so desperately, but that she never has female friends because something always happens. And that's the devastation in the finale where she's like realizes that she confessed all this to Harper and Harper still betrayed her, that Harper still disappointed her and thus left Daphne alone to wander just like she wanted to emulate the men. She's getting the same um, sort of uh, you know, the pros and cons of it where, yeah, sure, she can pull one over on him. She can do what she wants, but she's also wandering alone, kind of thinking she's doing something important, but really, you know, she's raising a child with someone who's not the father. She's constantly sad by what her husband does and has to like hide it. She's taking the power back, but at what cost to the relationship she wants to have. And I find that like so interesting and yes, the show compares the two couples where Cameron and Daphne have this unhealthy relationship with a power dynamic. They're not completely sure how to communicate, but they are happier. You know, they're constantly like flirting. It's never a front. They're they're having sex. They're having a good time. They're giggling, flirting, enjoying each other's company. Whereas Harper and um, Ethan are like miserable together. And so it is like, huh, well, is it worth is it worth the dynamic that they have? Like Daphne seems to think so, but I feel like the question to the audience is like, well, would you do this? I mean, I, mean, I don't think that Mike White is trying to say that either of these are like great. Yeah. Really. Like I think he's saying that they're both bad, but that yeah. like you can sort of like both, they're two sort of extremes and that both could learn something from the other in a certain way of like I think the I think the thing that Daphne is really good at is like having like realizing what she has control of and what she doesn't have control of and then sort of being like satisfied with that and finding like control of herself as more satisfying and not relying on other people where I think like Harper early on like needs to also like sort of needs everybody to be on her wavelength or she's upset about it. And Daphne's yeah. like, if, if somebody else doesn't agree with you or whatever, like just go off and do your own thing. Like it doesn't matter. And I think that's something that Harper sort of like learns as they go on. Um, yeah. And I, and I also think like probably for Daphne having to spend time with Harper, like makes her, you know, question her situation to a certain extent. Um, like, obviously, she's got a lot of good stuff from it. And she's he he's loaded. So she's kind of stuck with him. But um... <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I think it is like an interesting dynamic. And, you know, she's allowed to have these moments where she repeats her mantra where she's like, 
you do whatever you have to do to make yourself not feel like a victim. And that's clearly what she's afraid of is feeling like a victim. And that's the character note that Mike White said is that she and Kevin really love each other and Daphne is not a victim. And so you can see how well Megan plays that. And it does make her one of the more interesting and dynamic characters and kind of a fan loved character. Um, and yeah, comparing that to Harper's sort of descent into this like insecure, muddled mess is interesting. And I love that they didn't they didn't show what happened with her and Cameron. And it was just this mess that played into like there's just so many layers, Matthew, because Ethan is like pissed that she doesn't believe him when she he says Oh, I, I just the hooker kissed me, but I didn't kiss her back, and I ended things, and we were just yeah, demolishing. We just danced, we just did alcohol, and he's like, "Why don't you trust me? I've never lied to you. Why don't you trust me?" And it was so like aggravating and irritating and true to life to watch the roles reverse. Except we, as the audience, didn't have the insight into whether or not Harper hooked up with Cameron and what that was like and what the intention was and what actually happened. And instead, we're asked to trust her. And so many people on Twitter and stuff that I saw were like, ah, Harper's gaslighting him. She's worse than him. She, he didn't even do anything. And like, I think that in itself was such an interesting choice because it makes it just adds this layer of like commentary to how we view men versus women and jealousy versus righteous anger and all of that stuff playing out was, was so compelling to me. Yeah. I, that whole, like that, that plot line was the, the removed, like it doesn't really butt up against the other two plots at all. Um, but I did think it was very nice in its complicatedness. And I would love if season three, if they're bringing crossover people was some sort of like girls trip thing (laughs) where it was like Harper and Daphne and a couple of other people in the third location. Um, Cause I feel like those were the two breakout characters of the season for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it felt like Harper got lost cause I wasn't sure how to feel about her. Like why? Like, but I think Harper's the most relatable yeah. character on the show where it's like she, the things that she's saying are like the mouthpiece of probably like 75% of the people <laughs> watching it. Um, I know, but then she would just sit there and let these things happen where it's like, why would you go to dinner if you're fighting with your spouse like this deeply? Like, what are you sitting at a table crying for? Like what? I wanted to understand like how she felt about Cameron because there were times where it seemed like she was physically repulsed by him and didn't want him to touch her or flirt with her. But then if they did hook up, like what was that deciding factor for her? And, and is it right that he called her out on that lie or is she just trying to move forward since he wasn't giving her room? Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I I just, I feel like I could study them and like dig into that entire dynamic, like scene by scene. Uh, and enjoy it greatly. You know, White Lotus uh, 101. <laughs> I mean, it definitely had like, um, you know, sort of like a Long Day's Journey into Night or one of those kind of like like old plays where it's like four people yeah. and they're just having conversations and you're like, wait, all of these are so complex mm-hmm. um, in the things that they want and that they're looking for. Um, well, because they like, they pride themselves on being different than Daphne and Cameron and not letting money change them and being like so modern and woke 
But, but obviously that's not how same. that's yeah obviously yeah. that's not how that works which i think like i think lots of people who when they get money think that it's not going to change them and yeah. i think for like 85 percent of those people it does so we know the whole t- i mean i feel like that that trajectory for me we knew the whole time yeah. and that was similar with in the um three generations plot line <laughs> where it's like the person who thinks that they're so different from the other people is going to realize at some point how similar they are yeah because in that plot there's like a grandfather played by f murray abraham a father who's played by michael imperioli and then a son who is played by Adam DeMarco and the three of them are on vacation together because they're like ancient families from Sicily. They're here to enjoy Sicily and take in the culture, but also like maybe try to reconnect with their family. They want a homecoming, the embrace of a woman. Yes. <laughs> and the and the grandfather is like clearly a womanizer. Like checking out everybody flirting with every waiter and stewardess and whatever who comes past them. And the dad has had infidelity in the past, but is now sort of like his wife has left him and he's like very contrite trying to figure out how to get her back and is saying that he's very different from his father, even though they both clearly had loads of affairs. And then the son is they're sort of annoyed with both the dad and the grandpa and thinks that like he is much more woke and better and treats women better and sort of judges both his dad and his grandpa. But you kind of uh, figure out as it goes along and he is, you know, like first kind of falls in love with Portia, the, uh, Uh, assistant and then with one of the hookers that it's like oh well maybe he's just as much of a womanizer as these other two it's just like taking a slightly different tinge because of the like woke gen z mentality (laughs) that he's got going on yeah Um, no i don't i think that you see the three of them presented as sort of these uh types for the generations they represent and i don't think albie would ever, ever, ever say he's a womanizer. I don't think he's putting on a front. He thinks he's a nice guy. He thinks he's like a good guy. And that's his whole shtick is that, oh, women don't like me because I'm just too nice. And oh, I'm just attracted to wounded little birds. And there's this way in which he's trying to demure and be like, oh, I'm a feminist. Like, I get it. I would never make you uncomfortable. And he like asks permission to kiss his, his crush Portia. And there's like meant to be this civility and and tenderness to which he (laughs) interacts with these women but then yeah he just he just falls more and more into these like you realize I guess as an audience that he's like way more problematic in an annoying way where he thinks he's being nice but in the end he's willing to like betray his own mother um, because he's dick blind for this girl. <laughs> yeah, it's like the all three of these men are obsessed with women. They just sort of like frame it in a different mm-hmm. way to make them feel better about themselves. Where the grandpa's sort of like, well, this is my right. And the dad is sort of like, well, I did just it, but it, it wasn't a big yeah. deal and, you know, whatever. And then the son is much more like, Like, no, I like I'm I'm noble in my pursuit of these people, even though he basically falls in love with two different people in the span of like three days. Um, Yeah. 
Well, and there's this like the whole plotline of wanting to find their ancestral home is so perfectly played because they get there and it's just three women of various generations and they immediately like run them out of town, like saying, we don't need any men, like get out of here. And it's just so perfect that these men showed up just like seeking absolution almost for their failed relationships and their miserable lives and wanting to be forgiven for his the sins of the father type thing. And they just won't have any of it. And they can't believe it to the point where the grandpa, like jokingly, but rewrites the story as just a bad dream. He's like, oh, I, I dreamed we were kicked out of town. And it's just like, you can tell these men aren't learning anything. They're not uh, you know, processing anything. They're so flippant about these opportunities that present themselves to the point of this man who's supposedly been striving to get Laura Dern back in, <laughs> into his life as his wife is like, oh yeah, sure. I'll, I'll pay off my son and this will work. But then in the final instant, he's still checking out another woman. It's still his weakness is that, um, how does the grandfather phrase it? He's, they have a Achilles cock. Yes. That's their, that's their burden. The, 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 the grandfather is incredible. Like (laughs) every scene, every line that he has, he does not really have like a plot other than this. Yeah. I got to like find my home sort of thing, but his commentary on the son and the grandson (laughs) and everything else is just like perfect. His, the writing for him is incredible. Um, the the grandson is what is very attractive and i oh. he, like his plot line didn't i don't it wasn't like as compelling to me as the as the two couples <clears throat> were but i thought it was interesting enough um and sort of yeah watching this plight of like the quote unquote nice guy and how he like He's gonna and these save his hooker girlfriend yeah from her awkward bad, interactions bad. <laughs> and how she is just like especially once you realize at the end that she's been playing him the whole time just like how incredible she is the the one character i feel like this season who was not delivering for me was the dad like he just oh interesting I, i've seen a lot of people love him i mean maybe it's because he like his whole plot line is like basically he doesn't want to be there. He wants to be with <laughs> his wife. But like he he doesn't he's he's sort of just along for the ride and doing things. Early on, he's like trying to sneak these hookers into the hotel. But once that plot line is over with and his son is sleeping with the hookers instead, it's like he's just sort of languishing about. And I love Michael Imperioli. He's from the Sopranos um, and I think the casting was really great especially given the like Godfather plot line that they have going on at one point but yeah I feel like he was sort of the least interesting of the different plots going on this season <laughs> yeah I thought it was just so funny that his whole thing is that it's better not to talk about hard things like that's why he got into trouble with his wife like he just hides his infidelity and thinks that's enough He just will lie constantly. And so to watch him get caught up in this web of his own weaving where the hooker he hired goes after her, his son, and he's too chicken shit to like admit that they've slept together. I thought that was so funny that it was just like, it's your own son and you'd rather him pay $50,000 than admit that, oh, actually, uh, 
we're Eskimo brothers now, so um, sorry about that. But, but I don't think you should see so it. But that is so awkward. Like that would be <laughs> such an awkward conversation. I like, <laughs> I, like I get it. I on one hand, yes, like at any moment he could have put a stop to the whole thing by being like, that's like I hired that woman as a hooker (laughs) and slept with both of them like the night before you did. But that is so awkward. I have I have in my like friend group here in the city. There's two brother like there's there's like two brothers who are in sort of the friend group. Um, And it won and they're both gay. And like one of them has lived here longer than the other one has. And so we were at some function or another one night and brother like number two shows up with this man and brother number one is like, oh shoot. Like that's somebody who I have hooked up with before. And now he's dating my brother, <laughs> but it's like how, like, uh, and he was like, we're just like, everybody's just going to pretend that like, we don't know about this. Like, we're not going to tell the brother. Like, yeah. it's, it's just too awkward. And I'm like, it's yeah, not. 100%. I would not want to have a conversation with any of my siblings that's like, or parents or whoever that's like, oh, yeah, we like slept with the same person. <laughs> but he could have stopped it from, I mean, not stopped you know, like it, but if, he could have kept it like, from continuing. Like, if Rob and Laura had like slept together oh before gosh. you ever met Rob. Yeah, I would expect Laura to tell me. It's yeah, freaking weird. weird. Creepy strange why would i want to keep anyways i uh, loved it's, it but it's so awkward to bring up as a conversation you're like i just okay, don't want to pretend all, this never happened that might be true but it's his son it's his child he has a responsibility yeah but he's a full-grown <laughs> adult <laughs> well it was hilarious and sad and the, when he wakes up in the finale the son albie and he's like i need fifty thousand euros and you're gonna do it because it's a karmic payment <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, rich people are so annoying. It's like, oh yeah, rich he people. He wants are... this like moral high ground because he's deigning to sleep with a hooker. He's deigning to fall in love with a hooker, and he understands that he can save her. And it's just like I knew, I knew the instant she mentioned a, a um, uh, what is the word? Like a pimp. Yeah, a pimp that she was playing him and good for her honestly i support women's rights and women's wrongs and (laughs) she was just a flawless execution 10 out of 10 no notes um then the third plot line we have is the jennifer coolidge plot line she's back (laughs) from the first season she's on vacation with her husband who she met in the first season they have a prenup. The marriage seems to have gone bad. He might be having an affair. Um, and they're together the first couple episodes, which don't seem great. She's brought along her assistant, Portia, who's played by Haley Lou Richardson. But the husband doesn't want Portia around. So Portia has to sort of hide in her room. So she ends up hanging out with Albie and the dad and grandpa a bit. Um, but then the husband all of a sudden has to leave for a business trip, which leaves um, Jennifer Coolidge's character, Tanya and Portia sort of alone. So then they're teamed back up together. They fall in with this group of rich gay men who have a yacht and a, a house in Palermo and they're going to travel with them which leads to lots of great one-liners <laughs> from Jennifer Coolidge about um, gay people and all kinds of things. And then this is the plot line that ultimately ends in the 
deaths spoiler alert the husband has been working with the gays they're going to try to kill jennifer coolidge so that he can get the money because he he can't get it if they get a divorce because of the prenup jennifer coolidge finds this out she kills everybody on the boat with her with a gun that she stole from her like a prostitute lover mafioso and then attempting to flee the yacht jumps over the side hits her head on the dinghy and drowns um and yeah that's Uh, her plot line you know what i just realized is that the husband was trying to save portia by saying trying to get her sent home in the beginning, he just looked like a dick who was like, I don't want her here. Send her I back. don't know if he was trying to save her or if he was just trying to, like, get her out of the way. <laughs> well, either way, he, he didn't want her blood well, on his hands. Well, I, but I don't – I think it's less about, oh, he didn't want Portia to die and more about, like, that's a – like, another person, another witness, another, like, <laughs> loose end or yeah. potential wrinkle to this. Because obviously Tanya is stupid in a lot of ways <laughs> and Portia is is more with it than Tanya is um this plot line though uh, Portia also sort of has her own plot line where she falls in love with or they're hooking up with the yeah yeah, has a fling with this guy who is pretending to be one of the rich gays uh nephews but is actually a sex worker of some variety I guess or or at least a yeah involved somehow yeah um and this plot line, I feel like had the, like, it's, it's the funny, or it's very funny. It also is the one that ends up being the murder plot line. But I feel like this one has the least sort of like philosophical uh, <laughs> interest to it. Like the other ones are saying more where this feels kind of like. A, yeah, the others are speaking to a more like, you know, a systemic or or wider issue. Whereas this is more about Tanya and the character that she is because it's very, like, clearly obvious that this isn't going well for her, but she's so delusional that everyone wants to be around her, that everyone loves her, that she can't imagine a world in which something bad is going to happen to her. And I felt like that was very funny and a very good ending to a character that's entertaining to watch, but also honestly one of the worst people on this show like the first season she completely screws over a woman because her passing interest just fade and she chooses this loser of a husband and working in the b blm (laughs) movement and um and then here again the the poetic beauty of her I forgot the BLM plot line from the first season. That was, again, very smart. But this one, she just... Oh, yeah, he works in BLM. (laughs) He just panics, murders everyone, and then asks the guy who she just shot, is Greg having an affair? And I literally laughed out loud because it's like, how is that that what matters to you if you think he has decided to have you killed by the Sicilian mafia um, with his old ex-lover uh, cowboy man. And it's just like, you can see the do wheels. Do we think they were ex-lovers or do we think they were just friends? Well, I mean, he gave that whole story about how he fell in love with a cowboy. So I assumed those Right, were but that was like a different name. I know, but I think he couldn't give the real name because his real name's Greg. Right. And then she'd know that it's her husband. So she, he lied when she saw the picture and was like, oh, it's a. Greg just doesn't Steve. seem like somebody who would be. Uh... 
Well, I guess maybe not lovers. I guess maybe unrequited yeah. love. Yeah, I guess unrequited. Part. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But I, yeah. I think it's just like interesting that this woman of obscene wealth and self involvement, she just has this pathetic end where she thought she was so safe that she died in the stupidest way. <laughs> yeah. It's a tragic heroine, which is, which is honestly mirrored whenever Quentin calls her Madame Butterfly, like. And the way they just toy with her like a child, they just treat her like a little plaything. It's it's very funny how she's enamored by that instead of off put by that. And I think that is a reflection of this white proximity to the patriarchy and white women's proximity to the patriarchy and how they'd rather saddle up with people who might do them harm as long as it protects them from being in a position well, of loneliness or kind of... Um, patheticness i'm not sure like i think that's part of it but i also feel like from the plot line of season one as well she's just a character who like desperately wants someone to like her and give her any sort of attention and will take that from anybody and is const and then and then people find out that she's like annoying and dump her and so she then she's annoying and clingy because she's constantly worried that's going to happen. I mean, (laughs) that's sort of why she latches on to the hotel worker because she's like, Oh wow. Like this woman like seems to care about me. And it's like, no, this, this is a worker. This is her job. But you've like sort of put onto her that she's your friend now, just because like everybody else is terrible to you. And I think the moment that anybody was nice to her in any way, shape or form, she was like, Oh wow. Great. Um, well, I think she also has that monologue where she and she exploits Portia too. Like she continuously oh, she's terrible, but yes, people who aren't serve who are there to serve her. But when she is having breakfast with Portia, she's like, you know, my mom used to dress me like a little doll, and if you just let people keep dressing you, you'll just end up wherever they need you, wherever they want you, yeah. and like you'll. And so I think there's a self awareness there in a in a certain way. Um, buried under loads of self-involvement. But I think she's choosing to believe that people want her. And if they don't, then something's wrong with them. Where Greg isn't trying to murder her, he's just having an affair. Like, you know, it's just like this weird blind spot she refuses to fully acknowledge. And then just, you know, that you can do this. It's like, no, you can't because you're making things harder for yourself. You could have just walked down the stairs and got on the boat like you did the first time, but but she wanted to do yeah, the big the, jump. Well, the stairs and the boat thing that that will forever be a um, uh, like two people could have fed on the door or whatever. <laughs> like it's yeah, I'm I'm unclear on like what could she have gone down the stairs? Because I think not- she could have. I think it's just I think it was a perfect character note that she didn't. I think she was just she was reacting and not thinking and she could have gotten out of that problem way earlier. I mean she could have just stayed there (laughs) on the boat too until someone found her. Like yeah she had lots of options. I was I read an interview that was like her and Mike White and they were talking about it and she I guess kept like when they were filming the scene where they find her body in the water that she's like oh come on like let's just film one where I like crawl out on the sand like you might want to save me you might want to keep me alive for a third season Um, and Yeah, it will be a very interesting, it will be interesting to see season three without her character because she is such a big part of the first two seasons. I actually found like she was the weak link for the first half of the season and I was kind of annoyed that they brought her back. 
I like how it ended up, but I'm okay with letting her go. Well, she was the weak link in that I think when it was her and Greg and it was like, oh, this relationship isn't going well. It was like, okay, well, that's sort of a boring yeah. plot line. Once she got with the gays, I thought it was much <laughs> funnier. Um, yeah. But yeah, the first couple episodes, she wasn't great. I'm I'm excited for season three. Um, Mike White has said that it's going to be about if like the first season was about like status and wealth and class and the second season was about like relationships and sex and the third season is going to be about spirituality which I think is going to be interesting and sort of it's supposedly going to be set somewhere in Asia I'm not sure Mm. where Um, (laughs) so I could see like an eat pray lovey kind of um, energy from somebody or like some hippy dippy kind of stuff which I think will be fun to watch I don't know I, I feel like he has completed two very very strong seasons so i trust whatever he's gonna do for the third one yeah Um, it's a fun premise and i think it's like a perfect level of disconnect for me like succession's hard for me to watch i find it miserable i find them all so annoying what a waste of money to be that grumpy all the time and so there's something nice here where i get to enjoy the the beauty of a place I'll never go, but also laugh at these people who aren't even fully capable of enjoying it either and make messes and I'll cause say ruckus. this though, like the White Lotus Hawaii ep- season was gorgeous and I would gladly go to that resort. Like there was tons of stuff. This season, like Sicily looked really cool, but I feel like they the resort itself looked kind of small and there wasn't like that much going on there. And they had to do like lots of excursions, you know? Had to. Yeah, I mean, it was a gorgeous hotel. It was absolutely beautiful, but sure, it's not like a sandals resort. I mean, what well, was honestly shocking about this season is that they kept eating at that restaurant. I don't know. Well, why. yeah, and they, but, but what I guess what I'm saying is like, the if I was gonna go on vacation to Sicily, like all of those other places looked super cool. I feel like I would have gotten a stayed at a hotel that was less fancy and then just like traveled more than spent more well, time. That's at the... why you're not rich, okay? You don't. Have... That, that's how they travel. They don't go to see Sicily. They go to be in Sicily. They get to go and have another party story to share. You know, it's like. They're not really engaging with the culture. Yeah, They're but then just... they kept going all these places. Yeah, little day trips. That's how the rich travel. You don't want to have to pack I mean, your bags constantly. And how go big here. is Sicily? I feel like you can't really like. Can you do more than a day trip? <laughs> I, feel I don't like know. I'm just saying. It felt like, yeah, they were just they were just there to indulge, you know. And it was... I'm just saying that I don't think that the hotel would have been worth what they paid for it. They didn't spend that much <laughs> yeah, time well, there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, they did spend a lot of time at the hotel. That's that's where I'm confused right. because they did. I mean, they did and they didn't at the same time. <laughs> what city were they supposedly in? I don't know. They didn't. Not... They named it at the beginning. Ca- and then... Catania? Is that where they were? Maybe? Yeah, I don't know. I'm looking at the... the... Oh, there's <laughs> Palermo. Like, go? I'm like looking at a map. Oh, there's Nato. <laughs> Yeah. Were they I in mean, Mar- uh, Marsala? Was that where they are? I don't know. Um, I mean, we haven't even talked about Portia. Did you have any strong feelings on her? No, I found Portia arch. boring. I honestly found, I thought her her and the dad, I thought, were the least interesting. Because yeah. she's just sort of like passed around from plot line to plot line. She's really the only connector between anybody. 
Um, She's an idiot in her own way. I mean, yes. never go to a second location and definitely don't confront a guy in the privacy of a car, you know, like it, it, go to the hotel staff. Say you lost your phone. Also, go. her outfits were horrible. <laughs> um, yeah. Was Quentin supposed to murder her, you think? I don't know if he was supposed to murder her or he was just supposed to like keep her away. Yeah, I feel like he was supposed to murder her, but but I guess that's pretty dark. But I don't know what else they would have done because he's like, don't go back to the resort. Just get on the plane. These people right. are dangerous. And he, you know, was from a very deep hole. He was in a very yeah. deep, deep hole. I liked the strip or the prostitutes. I thought that yeah. their plot line was fun. I was less invested in the will she be the piano player? Oh, there's another piano like <laughs> yeah, that I whole plot done line. About two songs, probably. Um, but the but the the main prostitute I liked, and I also really did like the hotel manager. I thought she was really funny. Did you know she's and, like fifty four? What age did we think she was? <laughs> I don't know. That's just like. I don't know. She doesn't look 54. I feel like she, I feel like th- that's not that surprising to me. I guess, Maybe I would have thought she was like, like 40. Sarah Jessica Parker. Something. I don't know. Sarah Jessica Parker looks bad. <laughs> I'm just surprised. She looks like, yeah, I guess 40. I don't know. It just, it just, I mean, Jennifer Lopez me. is 50. Yeah. Well, I guess you're pointing out some obvious. I feel like all celebrities that we like every celebrity who we grew up with is now 40. I know. I know. Like all of the teen people we know are now 40, which means that if someone is like looks like an adult adult, I feel like they have to be at least 50 in my mind. Yeah. Because I'm 30. One. (laughs) Disgusting. Anyways, I really liked this like F men take their money sort of ambivalent ending. Yes, obviously. And the final like happy shot of the two italian girls the hookers waltzing down the street sunshine on their face and albie's like oh i got played it's it was very funny because he wasn't bothered by it because he's just no he's like gave his number to portia yeah it, it was just like there was so many little tiny moments that i feel like i could just write a thesis paper on and so i found it really enjoyable it is interesting to think of like how hbo Max HBO, I guess, is making all these horrific decisions about like canceling shows that have already been introduced and removing shows from their from their from their streaming sites to just disappear from the <laughs> from the universe entirely. That have power they hold because it's like, will this be a show people revisit or discover? Like, I don't know. I it's like hard to find those so. networky style sitcoms now. I mean, I think this will do well. Yeah, I I do feel like. Like, will this be a comfort show that people like rewatch over and over again? Like, I know, but I, it's also short enough, and there's going to be n- new seasons that I could see people, you know, either going back to watch old seasons, like as the new ones come out, or like discovering it all uh, over again and watching it. Yeah. Um, I mean, this feels like a franchise that it's that in my mind, I hope it doesn't get this, this way. This is but- my Downton Abbey. <laughs> well, but I could feel I could see this being some sort of like American horror story kind of thing where it just like goes on and on and on and on and on to the point where like people aren't watching it really anymore. But like <clears throat> that, you know, there's certain seasons where everyone's like, oh, you got to watch season three. You got to watch, you know, whatever. Right. Um, I don't know. HBO is like obviously making some bad decisions, but I think they're starting from so far ahead that even some of the bad decisions like aren't that bad because they're 
set up so well. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, sure, it screwed some people over, but not the majority. I'm just saying well, no, there's I'm a universe. Well, no, I'm about, like, creative decisions oh. of, like, like, yes, they are, like, maybe they cancel some shows that people liked or the Greenland or whatever. But, like, in general, the quality of HBO show is so much higher than the quality of any other streamers shows that it kind of, like their quibbling and changing things feels less dire than like if Paramount Plus cancels the one show that they have that people watch or you know what right, I mean? Right, right. Yeah, no, it's just the fact that they're doing it for like tax breaks and to get out of paying residuals. Is yeah, but I saw Moonshot was back. So the audience, <laughs> you know, the people, people talked and HBO listened and they said, we'll bring it back Moonshot for you. Good for them. You can catch it before or our Moon, 2022 Moon Land? What was that movie called? I think Moonshot. Moonshot? Where, it's the, where there's the two different groups yeah. of aliens in the Hollow oh. Moon. What? Moonfall. We covered this on our podcast. Moonfall is not Moonfall. what people were upset about, Matthew. Moonshot is the HBO original film um, starring um, uh, the guy from Riverdale about the people who fall in love on their way to Mars. Wait, that's the show that got pulled off? Yeah, like months ago. This whole ago. time, I thought they were talking about <laughs> Moonfall. And I was no. like, I was like, you guys are upset about this. No, it was. And a, then I was like, it's it was HBO it's original. Like, that's what people are saying. And now well, they're I've removing. I've never even heard of that movie. So now who they're removing. Cares? Oh, oh, my name's Matthew. And since I don't care, does it matter? Okay. <laughs> the issue is that they're like. Minx was just canceled, even though they just finished production. Well, yeah, it's a show about women, as it should be. Canceled. Get them off the air. Women have no place. Anyways, they, they're pulling the first season off, even. So then it's like, well, where this show that they spent a million dollars on, well, millions of dollars on, is suddenly, like, non-existent because okay, there's we, no physical we, media. We, we have already gone too long. And this, I don't and understand why you're salty at me. I we don't can't understand. Be, we can't be getting into litigate these things. Is it Moonfall? Is it Moonshot? Is it Moonstruck? Like, which moon movie isn't going to be on there? We don't know. Um, Any other final thoughts on White Lotus? Uh, No. I, I guess I'm at a loss for words, so. Okay. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I liked it. I'm excited for season three. I feel like that there is a lot of potential for cool things and places to have this show in. Um, would love a ski lodge setting. I think that could be a lot of fun. Um, I feel like we have there hasn't been a season that's like city-ish yet. You know, you could see like a Paris or a London or something. They would be kind of cool. You, I, I feel like at some point they're going to Africa for some kind of Serengeti thing with the, you know, mistreated and local. Like there's so many different avenues that you could take for this that i'm excited to see what they do um but yeah okay next week we'll be back talking about avatar 2 the way of water which i have seen and is three hours and 10 minutes long so in honor of that our episode will be three hours and 10 minutes long um anything else shelby uh, i don't think so don't okay think we'll see you guys then bye <laughs>